0: Hi, welcome back to another episode of the St. Paul Filmcast. This is Nick. Um, Today we have Tom Conkle. He is a writer, director, and star of the movie Trouble Is My Business. Uh, If you like the Mulsey falcon if you like the big sleep, double indemnity, um, postman always rings twice, you definitely will love this new movie. Uh, An homage to the film noir's. Um, Before we get to my interview with Tom, uh, I have a couple of announcements. My uh, noir comic book that's coming out in next month. So yes, I have my own comic book coming out next month called The Green Way. Um, So look for um, information on how you can order it, find it in stores, or where you can see me at Comic Cons coming up after the end of the month. Um, We are planning to have a a comic book uh, book launch in the new future. So listen for future episodes for more information on that. Also, this month, October 27th, I'll be hosting a panel discussion at Crypticon, Minnesota. Um, Simply to panel panel discussion will be independent film and podcast. Um, come out, come see me, say hi. Uh, we will greatly appreciate it. Even if you're not an indie filmmaker, even if you don't podcast and you're just curious about what it's all about, we'll love to have you. Um, also, with uh, being part of Crypticon, um, this podcast is hosting a contest. If you are interested in winning tickets to Crypticon this year, um, simply on Twitter, name your favorite horror movie and use the hashtag Crypticon Filmcast Contest. I know it's a little long, but in the long run, you might be able to win two free tickets to Crypticon. And once again, just name your favorite movie on Twitter and use the hashtag Crypticon Filmcast Contest and you'll be automatically submitted to a drawing to win two free tickets. All right, that's the uh, announcements and we'll have my interview with Tom Conkle. He is the writer, director, and the star of the new movie, Trouble is My Business, after these messages. Hey, this is Christian. Hey, this is Damon. And this is The Amazing Nerd Show. We're a podcast that takes a deep dive into nerd culture. Every episode, we will talk comics, movies, video games, and even wrestling. You can find us on iTunes. You can find us on Poppy. The Amazing Nerd Show. The show you never knew you wanted. so bad. Before we start, um, I usually have guests when you come on my podcast dedicated. Would you like to uh, dedicate this episode to anything particular, anybody, or anything that's on your mind? Um. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to
1: dedicate it to to all of my close friends that got together. You know, I have so many talented friends, and I could not have done this film without
0: them. So I dedicate this to friendship with a purpose. Awesome. Well, anyways, it's friends that don't just get together and just drink a beer or whatever, but it's friends that get together and make stuff. I have a, I kind of, kind of relate because I, I've done a, uh, a noir comic book mm-hmm. that's coming out in a couple of weeks, and I actually, oh, cool. yeah, thank, um, I actually drew my friends as characters in the, in the book.
1: Oh, that's great. Well,
0: see, you, you draw and you write what you know. What's the name of the comic? <laughs> um it's simply going to be called The Greenway. It's a very uh noir story that takes place in St. Paul.
1: Oh, that's cool. Yeah. That's
0: great. Yeah, so it's so when I I I come across your movie, I was like, "Oh, this is this is something I gravitate <laughs> to. I love them."
1: Oh, that's great. I'm glad you got a chance to
0: see it. Yeah. Yeah. Um so uh what how did it become about? How did you start the process of making this movie? Okay.
1: Well, it's, it's interesting. It's twofold. One was a, a creative
0: conceit, and one was a financial conceit. Sure. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, my, my day job is, luckily
1: enough, I do act and direct. That is my, my job in Los Angeles, but um, I'm usually doing other people's stuff, you know, and, and solving other people's problems creatively or doing whatever. But yeah. I looked at it as a, as a thing where what can I do with the financial resources that I have? And this genre came up because in the 40s and 50s, film war was not only just a stylistic choice, but it was an economic one. Yes. They, you know, It wasn't like MGM where it's like, hey, we spent a million dollars on this set. We're going to light this thing. I want to see everything. It was, it was like, okay, we have a wall. We have a table. We I mean, I just light the faces with some interesting light and shadow but that told the story perfectly it's a perfect marriage of theme story and look so financially i went lean because that's why film noir existed the way it was it was also yeah. a financial consideration the second thing was actually a little cooler in that i started thinking about information and back then forensics was so much more primitive that yeah. literally you couldn't blood type somebody or if you didn't have a body you know, which was the same as today. If you didn't have a body, you didn't really have a crime. But back then, there wasn't the kind of flow of information. Like, if you were, if someone was wanted, you had to physically take that picture and go, you seen this guy? <laughs> and if, if you find blood, you can't go, oh, the DNA matches or whatever. Like that, well... Working retroactively from the future here, yeah. if I went back in time, what would be a crime that someone would do that would be difficult, which of course ends up being the kind of crime and deception that happens in trouble. And then it really evolved into something universal. I said to myself, you have to be as rich as a country like the United States to be as cynical as film noir. And you I, also have to... Information is more priceless than things. I like that. And you always, yeah, you always have like you know Maltese Falcon. It's the you know the Falcon is what they want, but it's the information around it that's valuable. In our film, everybody wants the diamond, but once one of the characters says in the film, "What are you going to do with the diamond once you get it? It's not like you buy something with it, right? You know, you are it, right? You know, so, so information is priceless, even then." And human beings have not changed in our in our in our basic dark side, which Sonoar explores. A woman like a femme fatale. We all know friends who have been with a woman who's bad for them, and you're like, she's bad, and no, she's she's that. Oh no no no! And you're like, you're heading for a wall. I'm telling you, you to hit a wall. Then they hit that wall. Roland Drake, my character, is that guy. He's a, he, I, I call him a knight in rusted armor, and he and he, he falls for, it. and he knows he's good at his job. He's going to. Go all the way, but he's looking to be redeemed. But anyone watching it is like, "This is so obvious! Why don't do it? Don't do it!" And the great thing about film noir is it's never like really a who done it; it's a why
0: done Um, I really I, I watched the movie twice, and right. I, I love all you hit all the points that I think a noir fan will thoroughly enjoy about it.
1: Oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah I, 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 it, it grew. The scenes of it grew somewhat organically. You know, it wasn't like I, I didn't really have a checklist, but I did in the back of my mind go, well, why were those books resonating with people? Like, why do people still read The Big Sleep? Or why do people still love Ross McDonald? Or whatever. What, what is it about those movies that you watch them I and you're like, yep. And so these characters grew out of that, certainly shaded by my own experiences and there's a lot of witty banter and stuff which is very me and Brittany Powell, who I wrote it with. And and the thing the thing that I liked about it is those characters serve different parts of everyone's personality. Everybody has had a family member who's like a viper, you know, like the mom, who's just like spitting acid at everybody. When, you know, <laughs> yes, You know, yes. There's a guy, Johnny, who's like, what's your job? Hey, I'm your fellow. You know, that's my job. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so everybody knows these, and then I started to play with them, and, and I loved the relationship between Lou McDonald Uh, and, and Roland, because Lou is the guy who's, like, appearances are more important. Like, he's got the polish, he's got a, you know, he's the guy with the gun, I'm the guy with the nice car. We all have these people in our lives even now, it's just in Noir, they were much more clear, they're archetypes.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You notice
1: the bad guy is the only one who tells the truth? The, the, the Russian mobster is the only one who speaks the truth there's a scene where they corner him with some guns and he actually tells them like it is he tells them exactly what's going on he tells them what
0: their relationship is the only people that speak the truth were the villains I, I noticed that a lot of like when I researched like noirs that actually it's a a lot of contradiction, right? Of yeah. bad guys actually do good stuff and the good guys actually kind of do more bad things. Yeah, I yes. noticed that. I even physicalized
1: it. I had Steve Tom who plays, um, you've probably seen him in a bunch of Geico commercials. He's the Geico guy.
0: Yes, I, that's how I recognize him. Okay.
1: Yeah, yeah. He, um, I had him look at her when, she, when he was talking about me, and I had him turn and look at me when talking about her, instead of the instinct of when you're speaking to someone you would look directly at them. Yeah. What that is is, he's doing the opposite. He's he's going, are you sure you would destroy him at no at no matter the cost? And he's looking at Drake instead of addressing her. So if you notice in the film, he actually looks at the opposite person he's talking about each time he speaks, when the guns are held at his head. And that's the duality of his character, but he's telling the truth. Is they just listen to him?
0: You could
1: roll credits,
0: right? They don't, right? Because of greed and love and all the things that are human. Yeah, well, like I said, I mean, you capture all of it that like about noir. Um, My next question: did did you did you always always have in your mind that you want to do black and white, or is that just kind of a? There's a couple of things. I think black and white
1: is distancing. And what I mean by that is it's like a dream. It it, it makes it one step removed from reality. You notice the spaces more. You you notice the light. It puts it into um, a place where it's okay to be um, dreamlike.
0: Yeah. Um, But the financial
1: consideration I'll tell you, Nicholas, this is ridiculous. You'll love the story. All right. All right. Streaming services refuse to show black and white movies anymore. Why? If you go to net go to Netflix try and find a black and white movie.
0: Okay. okay.
1: So when I got a distributor in in April, the the main consideration the distributor supported the film completely. In fact, phys, on physical media, you can get it in black and white and color, you know, on Blu Ray or, or DVD. Right. But we got pushback from streaming services saying, "Oh no no no, we don't show black and white." We're like, "Wait a minute, what about like Doctor Strange Love? What about the artist who just won the Oscar? Like, we don't carry it." And I'm like, "What?" <laughs> so, so even though it was shot with the palette. I had to also consider with, with the two DPs, with, with Jesse and, and PJ, we had to have a color palette as okay.
0: well. So there has to be two versions because some streaming services only take color. Okay, that's what that's why I found two, like you had a, I found on YouTube two different trailers, one black and white and yeah. one color. Okay. It, it is purely a
1: consideration of if do you want the movie seen or not. Okay. And so, what I did is, with Mike Smith, who was the exec producer and also helped do the color timing, I had to come up with a separate movie with a different language. So, at night, it's more blue and indigo hues. There's a golden kind of vintage light in the co- in the color version. Okay. So that so that it can get on the different platforms, but it's meant to be black and white, of course. But also, when you're shooting a movie that's as heavy with visual effects as this is, you have it in color, anyway, because you need to be able to grab the green and some of the other stuff that use for set extensions to make the sets look
0: bigger and stuff. Okay. You have to have that color information. So it's not like you could shoot it in black and white. Oh, sir, sure. Yeah. So I, I'm a little curious about the writing process. Um, when you started writing it with um, Brittany Powell, did you guys start with like an outline, or do you just kind of just spilled it all out at once? Or I kind of got her excited about it.
1: We were talking about the next thing we've done. You know, maybe ten projects together. We're always either getting cast together, or we're like choosing to work together and stuff. And I had this idea, and I thought, well, she's genetically designed to be a femme fatale. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Yes. I yeah. think you, yeah. you have to agree. Yeah. And
1: and she's crazy talented, and and always wanted to jump into the writing process. And I thought this is a cool idea. I had an idea about the murder, and I won't give away like what the the thing is that they do, but I had the basic idea of the fore- using forensics against itself. Back in the 40s, it's like, oh, wow, if you did that, there's no way they'd know.
0: Yeah. And so when you presented that
1: to said, oh, we got to do this. But then I thought, you know what's cool about this? Is female logic started creeping into it where there was justifying. Having a feminine voice in some of the motivations of the characters began to make it elevated because almost no noir has ever been written. With a woman.
0: That's yeah. That's what the other aspect of why we're bringing it up is kind of fascinating. That a lot of females didn't really inter- do the right the genre very much, or the style. No, and, and 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 her female logic came in in some interesting ways,
1: like when she was talking about her character loving me. And we were doing the scenes towards the end. She actually was the one that blurted it out. It's like, why did you do this to me? I loved you. Now you've made me do this to you. And you know what she does to it. Yeah. And I was like, that's complete female logic. It's like, how dare you mess everything up? And then I have to like, you know, <laughs> do it. And I was like, oh, okay. That's that's interesting because it's coming from feminine energy and the dynamics between the mother and daughter you know, all of that feminine energy and the resentment and the stuff going on, a lot of it was brought to the table. And also just how she regarded my character, Roland. Like, she was conflicted. Yeah. You know, it's like, well, I love the guy, and he's good at his job, but I have this thing I want. And her emotions get muddy in it. You know, obviously it's like, look, just go, do it with me, let's leave. And when they, they start to... I think they, in my mind, anyway, as a director and the guy who was, you know, playing Roland, I yeah. think they do love each other, I, I do, but I think they can't get out of each other's way, I think there are two people that are, it's a bit of
0: a collision course, she didn't want to fall for him, you know, especially, yeah. especially when the plan was with her sister to do what she was going to do, but there's a genuine affection for a guy who's so pure that he does his job. I notice it, yeah, I notice a lot that there's like, there's two people that if they didn't do their professions they could probably have a happy ending but it, like yes. no, like in noirs it just doesn't work that way. Mhm. Yeah. It's funny you can feel the
1: chemistry between them. Yeah. But in the same token by in any other scenario you'd be like well these two are like you know best friends you could tell they're getting along these love their lovers but the problem is what they do is he has to go all the way to the end of the line and find out the truth, which ultimately is going to destroy what they have. But she is going to go all the way to the end of the line because she wants which, what she feels is
0: hers. Wonderful.
1: And that's classic noir, yeah. but it's also very human. You know, it's very, you know, I, I like I like making genre films. Like, my goal, I would be happy if I could have an idea on Monday and be starting it on Friday, but it's a mainstream pop filmmaker idea I have no aspirations beyond just doing movies that are genre films that are about people and, and right. are entertaining so what, if I could get that down in this film like as an experiment I learned so much you know it, it's yeah. a time capsule of who I was when I made it I'm a filmmaker now movie. Yeah. Um, to me if
0: you
1: could be entertaining and have it be about something you know, not just, oh, okay, you know, stuff blew up and I did some robots, and I did this and that and everything and that was my first <laughs> film. So, yeah, a lot of people who do that. A lot of people choose to do, you know, guy with blue jeans and a T shirt sitting on a on a sofa and that's great if that's their first film and they want to do it. But I wanted to try something a little different and hopefully, you know, I had like everything in my head. I had Out of the Past, which is my favorite noir, and then it's like the greatest last art and like I just wanted that serial kind of adventure. Pure thing, but it's still about something.
0: Yeah, and if you can find that balance, then there's a little more to it than just guys wearing
1: hats and girls in nice dresses. It's like, oh, it's about information and it's about corruption. And it, it, it's, it's funny that police corruption thing still resonates. It's like, you know, Vernon Wells's character is abusing his power. As a, as a police officer, and you're like, wow, just, you know, look in the news, and you see, it's like, no, that's not a made-up guy. There's guys like that now.
0: <laughs> yes, it's a, even though, like, movies are kind of a high exaggeration, but yes, it borrows from real life that— it's, Absolutely. Yeah. He
1: shoots someone in cold blood to his own advantage, and without any check or balance on it in the film, you're like, wow. He could do
0: that,
1: <laughs> you know, I said, "Hey, clean this up." Oh, uh, guy, oh, somebody tried to escape, you know, and, and, and that's how it
0: is. I know with uh, when you do a lot of independent films, um, it's very hard to um, get the process going. Did you did you do any storyboarding before you did the movie? Everything, everything had to be mapped up, particularly okay in a film like this. This the, the
1: film has two thousand visual effects. Almost every shot is a visual effect, and, and so I had to know, I only shot what I knew I needed from whatever angle, so I, okay. I, I, I blocked it old school, I, I knew I didn't want to do a lot of moving camera, because that's against sort of the, the type of story I was trying to tell, but also I think it would take you out of the film a little bit if you got too showy.
0: Yeah, um, so right. My, my thing was, how do I block the actor's in-frame, like the mise-en-scene
1: of the actual... Shot. it's like when someone steps forward, they get more accent. Like I do a lot of what I call two faces east. You know where it's like she'll step forward and look just over camera. Yeah. And kind of close the composition. All that storyboarded. Those lights. There were so many lights because we had little pinpoints of lights that you had to hit as an actor. You have to hit that light. It hits your face. You're right here. Do that. So everything. There wasn't any room for improvisation and so everything had to be thought out. The whole film was shot in my head, and this was basically taking dictation out of my mind and doing it. So the director had his own in the whole time, and so cameras run, and then I forget everything. <laughs> Do the character. You know? So i thinking about that because if you prepared it, you know you, you, you got the shot, and of course with terrific DPs, and the, the crew was amazing because I could say something in shorthand sure and it would be exactly what the film we had because they just got it you know. I remember one of the camera guys going this is the most fun it's like, like we're filming Blade Runner and I love like, all these shadows and moving light and he's like I can't believe you're doing this this is so awesome <laughs> that made me feel great because it felt like they got to do something other than just you know putting the light up and just filming people because it's there's recording stuff
0: and yeah. it's like making a movie there's a difference. Oh, absolutely. Yes, yes. And I, I want to mention to you, as I've seen this movie uh, twice in the last two days, I do get a sense that you guys thoroughly enjoyed making this movie. Yeah. Even though you're, you're doing very well doing your parts, but it looks like you guys, everybody looks like they've really had a lot of fun making the movie. It was important.
1: It, it, you know, I never had an argument on the set, which I'm proud of. And there was no screaming and yelling and stuff that, that went on. And, you know, it's very much my personality to just, if you confidently know what you're doing and yeah. you make everybody feel like they have a safe space to be creative and that they're appreciated and I'm grateful that they're there, you're going to have fun. And ironically, as a director or just even as an actor, you're going to have a better thing than if somebody doesn't want to be there.
0: Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, did you do any any shooting out, exterior, outside? Yes, a lot of it is uh, the whole graveyard scene. Okay. Uh, that's a real graveyard we were able to find. It does look like a movie set, though, doesn't it? It does, it when does.
1: When we threw the light up, it looked like the universal back lot where the
0: werewolf would like for to come out at the end. Right, it's almost like you almost expect yeah. Lon Chaney to come out, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's all just a lit, uh, real cemetery.
1: Um, all the uh, all the office stuff is a physical set. This is kind of cool, you like. Okay.
0: There's Diane?
1: You know, where they were, uh, where she, Jennifer takes Roland to the diner just to explain about the diamond and, and,
0: uh, uh, they have that conversation at the table. Yeah, the and corner the table. table, yeah. That was the only really existing 1940s diner left in Los Angeles. Oh, that's kind of a sale. The nickel diner. there's a woman that, um,
1: bought it it had been walled double walled like there was a there was a wall that was put up i guess in the 70s or 80s at the beginning this wrong but she tore that wall down and that beautiful diner was behind it all of the all of the stuff was there presented behind it and behind just walled in over
0: it wow she to play. how did you and i thought go ahead i was just gonna ask how did you find this did somebody point it out to you or yeah Ma- molly who uh, Molly Fitzgerald was, was helping
1: with this, helping you know, line produce it and find stuff. She's like, my friend has, I have access to this nickel diner. I've actually been there to eat. Wow. And the lady that had it had been uh, in the film business. And so she helped orchestrate that happening. We were able to get in there for a day. And then I thought to myself, well, it's so realistic, but think about it. In the 40s, it wouldn't be special. So I had to resist the urge to go completely nuts and go. I'm in <laughs> a 40s diner. <laughs> you
0: know what I mean? Because yes, I do. The
1: 40s, yeah. it, it would be like us walking into starbucks now you wouldn't be like i'm in a starbucks I'm gonna go this angle, this angle. so i had to be really casual about the furniture and the look of it and all those stuff even though i'm sitting there i'm like this whole thing looks like it's art directed you know it is it beautiful does. yeah and and i had you know the idea whenever lou uh enters or leaves a scene he always has like theatrical flourish like he will flip a he will flip a hat up from his foot onto his head the thing, <laughs> or at the end of I mean, you you know what I mean? Yes. And, and the diner scene, he flips that coin, and you see him walk
0: out, and the coin's still rotating as he goes out the door. I did notice it, yes. <laughs> yeah, i tried to put
1: visual closure on him, and that's where the space, you can feel the space, and, and uh, I had such a blast it. There, but there's, there's a number of scenes, where there's like those cars, you know, when he pulls up in the car, yeah. it's actually outside, and then I had to... Mike Smith and I built and then air that. so all the trolleys and all the other stuff that's in there. That car is actually sitting in a museum in L.A. We got the museum to donate the car so I could drive them around and, and move them around, but we couldn't leave the museum.
0: Oh, okay. That's my That was my question. So I was going to ask you have some fabulous cars in the movie. Those cars are great. Yeah. They're all authentic to the period. They had to be 1947 or earlier. And
1: and yeah, we got police car, we got the, the cab, all these different ones. But that stuff, of course, had to be outside.
0: Um, the next the next thing uh, next thing I was going to ask you that really popped out was costuming. How did you get to, to develop the costuming on the film?
1: A lot of research. I, I started the journey just by kind of looking at that. I'm a fan of the, that kind of look.
0: You know, like yep. the
1: suit that I'm wearing at the beginning is actually the suit my dad got married in.
0: Oh really? Yeah. So it's a little Easter egg thing. Is like my dad was married in that
1: suit. <laughs> um, yeah, which is pretty cool. It's it's vintage. And then um, I started looking at what what I had, you know, for resources. And obviously for Brittany, we started shopping for for dresses and stuff that were of the period. But also, there's a lot of rental places. And so I looked at dresses that were actually worn. In the 40s, you know, by Femme Fatales, and that yeah. Dress yeah. was actually a Femme Fatale dress from the 40s. Uh, a couple other ones we, we got. Then we brought in two costume people to really up the game. One was Aaron Shane Johnson.
0: Okay. He ended up doing Drunk History. He does
1: all their stuff, like the recreation stuff for Drunk History.
0: Oh, wonderful. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And then this uh, Chantal Filson. She, uh, she
1: did all the and uh, all the I uh, think the Cicada out here which is like a jazz club you of course which she knew where everything was. They made a lot of that happen and knew exactly where to get it on a quick budget. so without Chantal and Eric it would not look as good. Uh, the rest of the stuff is costumes literally I bought or I hit thrift stores because in L.A. The there's a lot of cool 40s
0: stuff. Did you were you able to keep all the ties they have in the movie? <laughs>
1: oh they were? Okay,
0: all right. right. 'Cause they're yeah, <laughs> one of them the, the one that's cut off is the great dad's time. It's a Jazz tie from uh thirties.
1: Like, and um, yeah, the rest of them either the translates
0: from Eric Town were ones I had. Um did you were did you, when you were uh, doing principal shooting, did you have to do a lot of retakes or were you just so uh, ready down to the script that you didn't have to do multiple retakes? Okay
1: there was several disciplines. You know, I, I came from a, a theatrical background. Well, like having done some live shows.
0: Yeah. Oh, I can't and stuff, but I would say the shooting ratio is like five to one, seven to one Okay. Right. So, I'll put it
1: this way, there isn't a sequence in the film uh, that, well, let me rephrase that, there isn't something we shot that isn't in the film.
0: I see, I can... Everything, everything shot was shot with purpose to be in the film.
1: There, there wasn't like, hey, let's shoot this scene, I'll see it in the other room, you know, I can do it, it's like I didn't have that luxury.
0: So I know I know you and Brittany wrote together, and you have quite a few scenes together. Did you yeah. did you mainly stick to the script you wrote, or did you kind of know that kind of did you kind of change the little things as you were shooting the movie? The only change would be if something in the environment or
1: in inspiration in the moment. I, I, you know, as a director, obviously I encourage anyone to to jump it in because we we kind of workshopped it while we were writing it. Yeah, we really kind of knew that that was it locked in and, and it's not the kind of film that you can change something where it's like no that was Brian because then the ripple for that was like <laughs> it would ruin the mystery it would ruin so much so it's like a jigsaw puzzle you you can't really change the pieces
0: yeah I got you. okay um with uh, the sound editing uh well, who did the sound with you for your uh, movie um The final mix was Trip Brock. He has a company called Monkey Land.
1: He is one of my oldest friends, actually. He's from Virginia, like I am. Uh, He moved out here around the same time I did. And he he is extraordinary. I gave him, I gotta give him props. We did a 5.1 surround mix. I gave him notes, copious notes of, like, he knows me. I'm very detail-oriented. Like nothing happens without a purpose. Like, if a grandfather sure. clock strikes, I'll tell you what line it strikes on, why it strikes, <laughs> all this kind of stuff. So I gave him
0: copious notes. All right. He is so good, I never had to sit in on
1: the mix. He sent me back a mix, and it was absolutely perfect that, for the entire movie.
0: That is and fabulous. Did. Yeah, is-
1: I mean, just he incorporated the music and, and had it had it. Under when he knew it would need to go under he fully filled out the music and effects you know track He cleaned up all the dialogue you know monkey landed trip I, I, just incredible sound place and the way that he took my notes
0: was unbelievable. It was, it was like I was sitting there but I wasn't sitting there. <laughs> right it does it does help when you have like a, somebody that has to almost ideally understand what you're gonna what you're doing yes. Yeah, Trump is very much a filmmaker because he does it with
1: found. He knows exactly how much it needs to be and, and knows how to find a balance. And, and with the delivery of the film, it's like the music and effects track, everything that we needed was effortlessly delivered, you know, to do like a foreign dub or something. He just had everything filled out. He was like,
0: here's the effects track, here's this, you take everything out. It was incredible. So, um, obviously, it's not just you and Brittany. You have, um, and you mentioned a lot of other characters. Um, you have a variety of other characters, in, the, and it, it's a nice note of, like, independent films. You usually don't have a lot of cast, but you have a, a tremendous amount of people in your movie. Yeah. I think there's 23 major speaking parts. Yeah. Was that intentional? Did you want to have a lot, of, like, a big ensemble part of the movie? Yeah. Um, this story kind of called for it because we didn't have a lot of money for scope of like you know the helicopters come over them thing I mean, to feel bigger because right. it, it needed to be more people. I'm really lucky in that as an actor over the years I've collected a lot of talents and friends, and all of them brought um, you know their own flavors to the character. I, I I think there was enough characters to make the world feel populated. Yep. Yeah. But. Um, yeah, it was always meant to be that, that number of people, and, and some people were already in my head, like, like Vernon or uh, Jordana, who plays the mom. I could hear their voice. So when you, when, you wrote the, when you wrote the screenplay, you had kind of an inkling of somebody in mind when you wrote it. Yeah, very much so.
1: Okay. Um, I'll tell you a funny story about Vernon, actually.
0: Sure, yes, yes. When I first moved
1: here, the very first cassette I ever bought, you know, for home video was
0: The Road Warrior. Oh really? oh, really? Yeah,
1: I was watching as a kid. I was obsessed with that movie. Like, I actually bought a black car that looked like Max's Interceptor. I <laughs> loved that movie. And, and then I was working at um, a store for Christmas help, you know, just to survive when I moved to L.A. Yeah and the first celebrity I ever met was Vernon Wells. He walked into the store to buy something, and of course, you know, little 21-year-old me bounds up to him and is like, Vernon Wells, man, I'm such a fan. He's like, yeah, okay, kid. (laughs) (laughs) I'm talking to him.
0: Did he have, did he remember you?
1: Sure, yeah. Which is why has that one great scene where... Hammer just goes right in on his face. No cuts. He nailed it. And his kind of character is usually the guy you remember the road where he's like jumping from car to car and beating
0: people and doing right. or
1: whatever. But he delivered a Shakespearean
0: speech that menaced these people without him moving. It was very appreciative because everybody who recognized Vernell is as very animated, and even though he's brutish in this movie, he has he's very, I think, very introverted. Yes, he's very still, actually.
1: The, the thing that I like about it is, and, and Clint Eastwood does this really well, is if there's a stillness to your character, there's power.
0: Yeah, You know, you have a lot of power in stillness. Like, even Drake, when she's holding the gun on him, he's calm, almost like eerily calm and still looking at her. I, I like that. Yeah. Um, did kind of Vernon help with his outfit? He's got a fascinating costume to go with. No, he's got a great costume. The minute I told Chantal it was him, the the trouble was finding a coat big enough, (laughs) like a black
1: coat big enough, and and a hat. Once he hit the hat, he was totally in character. (laughs) And and really, his backstory, the idea was, you know, the the Australians helped us a lot in World War II. Sure. Like, they fought alongside. So a lot of them immigrated to the U.S. after the war. And if they had a military background, sometimes they could go into law enforcement. So
0: it was perfect. I like that. I never knew about that. I never knew about that that Australia's migrated, a lot of them you know, came to to LA for the uh, for law enforcement. Yeah, absolutely. And see, his character could have been ex-military. Then he gets to
1: that. Then he gets more involved in the police, and, and we turn to the dark side. But <laughs> there, you know, there was there was this kind of interesting. You know, you don't get a lot of Australian villains. In, 40s and I was like you know what that would be an interesting angle to take with him that he's this guy who immigrated here and it's, he's almost like Caligula you know he's yeah. in charge of Rome and he's like I serve and protect my own interests you know <laughs> and it's like any information again it's about information the flow of information goes through him and when the Russian mob says no you're you're cut out of the deal he's like nah it's not going to happen I'm, I'm, you're going to tell me where it is right now you know because I get my cut and, and and
0: that's that's again, that's human nature. Um, one of the things I was going to mention about the movie that I like is there's very the characters are very much human. I, I really appreciate it, especially your character, who's not even, in fact, the greatest detective in the yeah, area. By his own admission, yeah, he's yeah. like, I'm not that good a detective, as you keep pointing out. Right, yes. And I thought that was a fabulous viewpoint of this movie because a lot of times when you get noirs, you expect the great detectives to be the greatest ones of all time. But yes. I like that this this is actually almost that he's getting baited and he kind of knows it. Yeah, he, I wanted him to be more of an everyman. I mean, the fact that I
1: put myself out there, you know, and you know, that's always harder actor. He's Like, look, I want to play him, you know, and, right. and you've got this specter of, like, Bogart and all these great people, and I, I'm not even competing with that. I He's supposed to be this everyman. He's supposed to be, you know, he's being evicted from his own life at the beginning of the thing, literally right. and figuratively. And for me, the thing here is I love Sin City. I thought it was a great movie cartoon like the like the amount of violence that they can sustain the number of bullet hits they can take their jump at their windows through their cars all this kind of stuff that's not real I mean that, that's like heightened
0: I'm sorry to interrupt you. I just mentioned. I I like that it's subtract of mysticism that is very much yes. grounded.
1: I felt that way when I was doing it. You know, she's like, do you trust me? Uh, Like, not really. (laughs) Okay. You know, and and that's, that to me is so much more real.
0: Um, A lot of people have written essays about noirs and mentioned that noir is kind of the basis of loneliness. And I really got that with actually most of the characters in the movie, that even though they interact with a lot of people, there is a sense of loneliness without majority of the people in the movie of the society, but they're forever exiled just outside the
1: fringe, and they comment on it, they watch it, like, their business is information, but also uncovering the dark sides of people, which keeps them in the distance, you notice Lou says, that's how I get to know people from a distance, when he's holding a gun on them, yep. and, and,
0: and, and they're all in their own little fiefdoms, their own little isolated bubbles, desperate to connect, but so they can't get out of their way because they're so dark. I yep, absolutely agree, and I think it came across wonderfully. Thank you. Yeah, I really worked on that. Um, what uh, before we go? Do you have what's your next project after this uh, giving birth to this wonderful movie? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm a couple things. I'm uh, I'm, I'm just finished acting
1: in a, in a sci-fi project that's coming out. I have another one. Um, Called the Noise Between, which I'm doing with uh, for a friend as an actor. Uh, I'm going up to uh, Spokane actually to film it. Okay. In late uh, October, I'm actually in the middle of writing uh, three different things. That Lumenactus is my company with Mike Smith. That we want to do one's called the Command,
0: which is kind of dust boot in space, which will really be kind of cool. That is that's already you already got you already caught me yeah oh, man, it's a great story it would be
1: fantastic yeah. i am actually going after uh some great actors for it i think it would be an amazing project to do uh i have another thing that's kind of a um a noir piece sure. but it's slightly different it's a neo noir it's right. set in the future and then um the, the other thing i'm working on is, is a it's actually a true story
0: oh all right it's called
1: the jet age it's about like a guy who basically rescued the uh the, uh commercial uh jet industry from almost disappearing and it's it's it's, a, it's an untold story but if you hear it you're, you're like oh my god i didn't realize it was that close to like we wouldn't have commercial jets, wow. and, and it's, it's a
0: fascinating story. So those those three were putting together with a couple other things at Luminateus. So I, I have enough films to keep me busy for the next ten years. <laughs> it sounds like that. <laughs> <laughs> as, as somebody who's written, um, man, do you like writing during the day or at night? I prefer to write at night. You get yeah. Disturbed less, and I think I'm more creative and
1: focused at night. I'm a night person.
0: Uh, I have um, to. I'm certainly. Yeah, we wrote Trouble at night. So, uh, are you the same way? Yes, I'm very much the same way. I think it's a sense of distraction. Yeah, during the day, it feels like there's stuff I
1: need to do. and Other things where people call me, or it's just stuff needs to get handled. Yep, I but agree. It, it, you know, in the evening or the night, I can settle down, and I literally see it play across my eyeballs when I'm writing it. And if I'm not disturbed, there's been many a day I look up, and I'm like, oh, the sun's coming up. <laughs> you know, and, and I will have written all night.
0: You get in a trance state. Yes, I I agree. Well, it's almost like it's writing itself, isn't it? Yes, the characters, like I said, dictated to me in a weird way. Well, uh, Tom, I have to say, I uh, we're kind of running out of time, but I want to say oh, before we it go, kind of fast. I know yeah. it did kind of go very fast. Um, I would say thanks for coming on. I appreciate the movie. Um, Thank you. Thank uh, you for watching it. I would definitely let everybody know how to reach it, but just as a reminder, why don't you let everybody know how are they able to see the movie? Okay. Um, first off, you can go to the website,
1: which is troubleismy.biz. B I Z. Um, you can see it in black and white or color on disc, on DVD or Blu-ray. If you uh, go to Amazon or if you Google it, it's on you know Barnes and Noble, Best Buy, all the different retail places. You can get it. Especially if you want to see the black and white, it's on all the streaming services: Voodoo, Fandango Now. Um, you can stream it on Amazon, uh, Google Play, all those places. All of them are linked on Trouble Is My Biz. Um, so if you put in "Trouble Is My Business" movie on Google, you will
0: find it a bunch of places. Oh, wonderful, wonderful! Oh, iTunes too. I should mention it looks really good on iTunes. The download of it is beautiful. We shot this in four K. Okay. and um, so the sharpness on it if, if something like that if you could download it you know versus streaming it looks beautiful I have to give it a, ch- a chance because I've, I've I've only yeah. seen the I'll, I'll have to look, definitely have to look at it through iTunes yeah. to see what it lo- the difference is oh, yeah. pick up the Blu-ray man that, that's the sharpest it's amazing alright well Tom um, thanks for coming on and as a guest um, my last question for guests that come on um, is always Tom what is yep. your favorite movie Oh my god, it's like picking a favorite child. I know, I did (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It doesn't have to be the absolute favorite, it's just one of them that you there's been ones that are signposts for me. Okay. Ones that have just changed me. Um, if there's more than one, feel free to mention them. Yeah, I, I was going to say, just going backwards, it's so many, I mean, you can see why I want to make mainstream pop things, like yeah. the obvious ones,
1: Dark Knight just spun me around about what you could do. That's a noir superhero film that's, you know, I'm a huge fan of Christopher Nolan. He and yeah. I are very similar. Every time I hear an interview with him, I'm like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> and I do that, and that's me, and that's my personality. Um I love uh, The Lost Ark, I love The Matrix, um, I have so many, Star Wars, Empire Strikes Back, um, there is not one, you know, that is, that is like Stripes, it's one of my favorite films, <laughs> so there, you know, there are so many, There, I have about a hundred number one
0: films, and then all the other ones underneath. Thomas, it sounds like you need your own podcast just to talk about your own favorite movies. <laughs> No, I know. Let me put it this way: I have, I have in my office, I have about seven hundred and fifty Blu-rays of really? all my favorite movies. <laughs> <laughs> just the favorites, just, a favorite. right, just a, not just a <laughs> <laughs> depends on my mood, right? Right. Yes, I, 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 I movies are this all about mood. It's, it's something about it that, yeah, it, yeah. yeah, you can be a happy, yeah. You just, you, it, yeah. Yes. It changes as
1: you visit it too. It's like, it looks like... What I enjoyed about it when I first saw it is different than what I enjoy about it now. It's funny. I went to uh, real quick. I went to this rooftop screening at the Montebon, which is named after Ricardo Montebon. It's a it's a new theater uh, building in L.A. Okay. And they showed Wrath of Khan, and I hadn't seen Wrath of Khan in a long time. Man, did I enjoy that movie because I realized it's about stuff. It was about friendship. It was about like somebody being older and still feeling relevant. It was yep. about like you know revenge and all this stuff. And I'm like, here's this Star Trek movie. And the reason people are still watching it is because when you revisit it as you get older, you're like, "I've had a friend for 20 years. What if he did die?" You know? Then it, it, when you're a kid watching Star Trek, you're like, "Oh man, Spock died." Now I'm like, "Oh, my best
0: friend could die." Yeah. That's a completely different feeling. It is a yeah. It still it still has power, doesn't it? Yeah, it absolutely does. And it's it, it's pop
1: entertainment. It's fun. It's okay to like that craft recognizes craft if you see craft even if it's like Conan, you're like okay you know what there's craft look at the swords look at what they did any of that stuff took an artist's time like it, 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 if it's good they meant it they, they wanted it to be good and the reason I love stuff like that is it's okay to have high art I love high art like Citizen Kane amazing yeah. but also I had just as much time watching Wrath of Khan and going you know what this is a
0: tight movie they made that for $16 million. <laughs> for that time, it's that's pretty tight. <laughs> yeah, it's tight. I mean, and it's still about stuff. Yeah. You know, like there were people that were misty-eyed at that death scene. And I know they were misty-eyed because they're like, oh man, my friend died. You know, it's like, yeah. that's real. And so for me, that's the power of movies. That is definitely is. It's, it's If you can get to the heart of, yep, it's absolutely the yeah. p- pinnacle movies. Tom. Yeah. Thank you for brunch for coming on. I learned a great deal. And it was a lot of fun having you on talking movies. I love talking to somebody that likes movies like,
1: like you do. It's, <laughs> it, it, it's it's like game
0: recognizes game, right? Yes. Like, I, I,
1: I love them. I was talking about them. I want to make
0: them the rest of my life. So, well, uh, if I I can have a follow up question since you like movies so much, um, how many movies do you think you see a week? Um, I at least see one or two. Okay. Um, and, and you
1: know, either in the theater or revisiting them or whatever. By you know, Friday nights are my temples. I usually will pick something. Like have a movie theme night if I feel like watching two, whatever. But you know, I try and you can't do it in a vacuum. You know, no. it's like somebody who writes books and never reads them.
0: It's like that's insane. Talk yeah, you, you yeah. Know? So, so I always I try and watch try and watch a movie every week. I agree. Yes, I agree. Well, Tom. Yeah. Thanks again for coming on. And, Thank you, uh, mm-hmm. Can you face these feelings you lack? You left your love and now you can't come back. Your broken heart is going to bleed your soul.